Well, hello and welcome to Water and Stone. My name is Dieter Randolph and I am the lead pastor and all that good stuff. Speaking of good stuff, I'm really excited that we're beginning a new series. It's the first Sunday of the month as you're watching this. And uh, I want to remind you that the first Sunday is when we do a workshop and we work through that theme through the rest of the month. So there's going to be in the coming weeks, there's going to be conversations and dialogue and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm really excited about what we have for you, but this is where it all starts. I'm going to talk at you for a little while. We're going to work through some things. I want you to imagine that you're in a classroom kind of environment. I even have a podium, like I'm a, a highfalutin teacher and all that. So get your uh, pen and paper and all of that. Get your questions ready. And as I want to remind you, we pre-record these presentations. And so when you're watching this, if you watch it live at 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings, Jenny and I will be watching it right along with you. And there is a chat window that appears on the side of the screen. You can put your questions right there and we will respond to them. You can also post your questions later on and we'll do our best. You can reach us at waterandstonechurch.com. There's a contact form and all that good stuff. You can find us on social media, all of that. But I want to let you know that the theme of this month's workshop is meaning fulfilled. And it has to do with the idea of finding what's meaningful, finding what actually matters in life. What are we really alive for? And how can we live from that amazing place? Because when we find it, and look, we've all caught glimpses of it. When we find it, it is absolutely impactful, transformational, liberational, if you want. It's going to change things for you. I feel so strongly about it that we're talking about it now, but I feel so strongly about it that I wrote a book about it. And on August 1st, so already passed now, um, you can pre-order the book and all of that. You can go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all of those kind of places and pre-order the book. And we're going to be talking through some of the main ideas that, that I'm so passionate about that I wrote the book about it. So check that out with me. But even if you don't have the book, you're going to get a lot out of this presentation. So get your pen and paper ready, get yourself ready, get some coffee if you need that kind of a thing. And let's start with our opening prayer. God is and I am. I stand on holy ground. Right here and right now, there is truth. Right here and right now, there is freedom. Right here and right now, there is life. This is who I am. I am ready. From now on, I speak the truth. From now on, I choose freedom. From now on, this is my life. The unstoppable love of God prepares the way. I am ready. And so it is and so it does. Amen. So I wanted to start by sharing a story. It's something that happened to me when I was just a little kid. I was walking with my friends Joey and Joshua. True story. Even though those are good Bible names, this actually happened to me. Um, we were walking and we were at that age where we had really found out about and been excited about the step on a crack, break your mother's back paradigm. You know, that thing. Remember those times when you didn't want to step on the cracks in the sidewalk or on a tiled floor and all of that? And it was a very big deal. Now, to my friends Joey and Josh, it was just a game that kids play. But 
you might not know it to look at me, but I was kind of a weird kid. I was a little bit neurotic about it. And so while I could get with the idea of the game, for me, it actually became a little bit more serious. Like I really didn't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to break anybody's back. I don't want to do all of those things. And so a little bit panicky, a little bit weird, a little bit overdramatic about the whole thing. And my friend Joey, he was a little bit older than us. We respected him because he was a year older. His parents let him watch Dukes of Hazard, you know, worldly. And uh, Joey said, you know, we were walking. He said, you know, if you looked at this concrete through a microscope, you would see millions and millions of tiny little cracks everywhere. It's all made out of cracks. You can't help but step on a crack. To him, that was just an interesting fact. I'm sure his parents had told him that maybe to get him to quit playing the game. I don't know. But to me, as an overly neurotic kid, I was shattered, just like the microscopic cracks in the sidewalk. I didn't know what to do with that information. That's too much power. And then I started to think about the fact that not only did I not want to hurt anybody, but it was just overwhelming, the idea that, wait a minute, if it's all made out of cracks, what's holding me up? I mean, I, I, what if I go through to the center of the earth? Isn't that where there's lava and dinosaurs and, I don't know, something? Isn't that bad? What's going to happen to me? What's holding up my house or my school or my church? How does any of this work? And all of a sudden, this offhand comment about a child's silly game became shattering to me. I didn't even know what to do. You ever had a moment like that? What I find... Is that in moments like that, God gives us some kind of a teacher if we know to look for it. That's always true, really. You know, when the student is ready, and sometimes that readiness looks like panic, you know? And in this case, the, the teacher came in the form of my friend Joshua. Joshua said, you know, if you look at this concrete through a microscope, I bet you'll also see all these places where everything is just kind of stuck together. It's like a spider web. There's all of these places where everything is really connected and it's wonderful and amazing. And you know what? I'm just going to walk on the stuck together places. And Joshua walked forward. Joey was stopped in his tracks. Joshua walked forward and we followed. There's a lesson there. As you go through your life, do you step on the places of disconnection or do you place your weight and your emphasis and your focus on the places where things are stuck together, on the connections versus the separations? Because here's the deal. Either way, you'll be right. That's the thing. You can act like your life is meaningless or you can act like everything has meaning. And either way, you'll be right. You can act like everybody's no good or that everyone is worthy of love. And either way, you'll be right because you get what you're paying attention to. This is a universal lesson. So do you walk on the broken places or do you walk on the connected places? Because either way, you're going to find evidence to support that hypothesis. And so at the end of the day, you've got to decide what's okay with you. Because if you're okay with living on the basis of disconnection, separation, brokenness, then you're going to get more of it. Everything's practice, right? You're going to get more of the same. 
And so there's this cycle that we can go through if that's all we care about, and it just gets us tired. But you and I, we've all had moments where we found something that connected us to something bigger. The connective tissue, the spider web of life, the thing that sticks us all together, those moments, those experiences, that's what meaning is. Meaning is the thing that connects instead of separates. And when we insist on meaning, we find ourselves connected to something else. One of the things that I talk about in the book is that meaning is a matter of connection. We just talked about that. And it's also a matter of location. Meaning is connection and location. Now think about it. When you've had a meaningful experience, when you were inspired, when you fell in love, when something really happened for you, when you were in the zone, that kind of a thing, the two feelings that you felt, details change, but the two feelings that that everybody feels in those meaningful moments is a feeling of connection, I'm part of something, and a feeling of location, I am really here. You know where you are in the context of space and time and the universe and the whole thing. Those, you are here and this means you, connection and location, those moments. And they resonate. I got to tell you that that place where that story happened with Joey and Joshua and I, when I was just a little kid, and as you can see, I ain't a little kid anymore. I have occasion to walk in that same place. I've probably walked that same path hundreds of times. And I got to tell you, every single time I walk in that place, I play that story back in my head. Every single time I walk in that place, I remember. Every single time I walk in that place, I resolve all over again. I make a commitment all over again to step, to walk, to lean on the moments that connect instead of separate. Because I had a, this means you, and you are here kind of a moment. Think about your life. When have you felt connection? When have you felt location? What are you made of, you know? I got to tell you that as a minister, I have done a lot of funerals and memorial services, things of that nature. And it's a real honor. I'm, I'm honored and, and happy is not the right word for obvious reasons, but it's touching to get to be there for that. It's an important part of what I do. It's an important part of my calling. And every time I do a funeral, a memorial service, or whatever you'd like to call it, I find that that experience makes philosophers of everybody. Everybody's got deep things to say. Everyone's got questions for the minister afterwards when you're gathering after the service is over. People always have questions for me, even if they've never seen me before. I've heard all kinds of things, all kinds of theories about life and the universe and everything and the afterlife and the oneness and the whole deal, you know, as you might imagine. You've been to a funeral or two. Maybe you know what I mean. I've been to hundreds. And in those hundreds of experiences, I've heard people say all kinds of things. But you know what I've never, ever heard, ever I have never heard somebody say, you know, that was a beautiful service, but gosh, I would have liked to know a lot more about their credit score and their shoe size and their favorite color and how tall they were. How come you missed all the details? Never heard anybody ask for more facts and figures. What do you want people to talk about? Do, they want, do you want people to talk about your favorite temperature to set the thermostat at? Really? 
We know, here's the point, we know that facts and figures do not define us. They're not the important thing about us. They don't mean anything. What you'd want people to talk about, what I want people to talk about is the story how you touched somebody's lives, how they impacted yours, how you broke through something, learned something, taught something, shared something, loved something, created something, right? You're not a matter of numbers and data. And you know that, of course, because you're watching this, so I already know what kind of person you are, you know? Nobody is made out of data. Given that we know that fundamentally, isn't it interesting that so many people spend so much time chasing numbers? They live and die by their credit score or their bank balance or how many likes their post got on Instagram or how many pounds they lost off a scale or you name it, the 401k. People live by the data when the data can't live in them. Maybe that's the wrong choice. Maybe we're asking for and looking for and thinking about the wrong thing. There's a line in the Bible about storing up treasures and paying attention to what stays and what decays. Look that up. But right now, I just want you to think about the idea that if everything is practice, and if I spend all of my life chasing things that are subject to entropy, things that rot and waste away and decay and all of that, what am I going to experience in my life except more rot and waste and decay? Sooner or later, the numbers go down, if you know what I mean. Let me put that a different way. Not so grim. Here's the deal. There is nothing significant about the data, the numbers of your life. There is nothing significant about the data. And if I spend all my life chasing data, then I will feel insignificant too. If life makes you tired, that is probably why. Ask yourself, what am I chasing? Because you know there's another choice. There's the idea that there is stuff that doesn't run out, that doesn't wear out, that doesn't go away. Think about how hard it is to make friends as an adult. You know, we just, we tend, we grownups tend to not be very good at it. In fact, it's so weird when you see somebody from work at the grocery store, for example, that you're not supposed to be here. There's boundaries and separation in my life. I'm not supposed to know you from church and also see you at the restaurant. That's not cool. What are you doing? Did God run out of extras in the movie of my life? What's the deal? You know, adults are not very good at it. We have weird boundaries and weird barriers and tests. You, you can't be my friend unless you like this movie or you like this band or if you went to that show or whatever. You know what I mean? Adults have all kinds of barriers because they're afraid sometimes. But remember how easy it was to make friends when you were a little kid. You made best friends on the schoolyard five and six times a day, lifelong boon companions forever based on the fact that you both had a red lollipop for break time or whatever. You know what I mean? Kids make friends very easily. Maybe we should be like that. And here's why that's important. I mean, first of all, friend. Friends are good, right? But more than that, kids know something that I think a lot of adults have forgotten. And that is, when you give something important, you get more of it. When you make friends, you get more friends. There's sort of a breeder-reactor quality to friendship when you make friends like a kid does instead of with all kinds of weird reservations and barriers like a grown-up does. 
And when you think about it, everything meaningful has that magic penny breeder reactor quality. If you give it away, you get more back. Think about love. If you give love, you get love. If you hold back, you don't get any, right? There's a song about this. If you give inspiration, you get inspiration. If you give truth or beauty, anything important, if you give it, you get it. Think about your life. Think about when you have experienced that wonderful breeder reactor quality. Those are the meaningful moments. And in fact, that's the test. If it is meaningful, it increases when it is shared. If it's meaningful, it increases when it's shared. So ask yourself, what are you sharing? What are you asking for? Is it important or not so much? It's interesting that during the quarantine, people are kind of discovering social media, and I think a lot of people don't exactly know what to do. There's a, a, a mode that people get in that I call the town crier, where people go, yay, the Buccaneers won. That's great. Remember, remember when people played football? That's great, but the thing is, if I'm a Buccaneers fan, I probably already knew they won, and if I'm not, I don't care. People say, hey, it's 74 degrees. Yeah, I, I have the same outside you do. You know what I mean? People don't know what to share. And in a way, it's not different than when people take pictures of the nachos that they had, or they just don't know what to do with that information. What are you sharing on social media? What are you sharing with, with who you are? Are you part of the documentary culture where your life is just an accounting of what you went through and the data? Or do you have some time and some space in your life to share your heart, to share what connects and what locates? Do you define yourself by your job or by your calling? Those are two different things sometimes. I want to paint a picture for you. Go with me. This is the theater of the mind, right? Imagine a situation where there's this facility, this institution, this, this building, this compound, whatever you want to call it, a place with a lot of people in it. And the people who are there are not there because they want to be there. They're there because they have to be there. With me so far? Can you imagine that? Imagine that there are very specific rules about when you can eat and what you can wear and what times things happen. And there is a regimented schedule that is enforced. There are rules about coming and going, for example. Imagine that, that everyone in that situation, because they're not there because they want to be, all they dream about is getting out. And when you're in a situation where all people dream about is getting out, what happens in there tends to not be so healthy. So the dream of getting out only intensifies. People don't want to be there, so all they want to do is get out of there because of all of the rules and all of the guidelines and all of the restrictions. Can you imagine a place like that? Now, what kind of place did you imagine? Because when I describe it that way, most people imagine a prison. Fits, there's a dress code, there's bars, there's a schedule, the whole thing. But you know what's interesting is that exact description also fits the average office building. There's dress codes, there's rules about coming and going, there's all kinds of requirements about meetings, and oh my goodness, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Isn't it interesting that the same description fits both places? And isn't it also interesting that we have such a blind spot about the fact that the description fits both places? 
And in both places, the reason that it can feel restrictive, the reason why maybe your job isn't awesome right now, is because for a lot of people, the job or the jail has to do with identity being taken away. It has to do with, with getting away from the idea of who you are right now and instead being defined by past achievements, whether it's your diploma or your training or education, or whether it's the fact that you're in there because you knocked over a gas station. Your identity, instead of being about the presence and the loving person that you are, the, your identity has to do with what you're doing right now, whether it's you're, you're attending a staff meeting or you're brewing up some wine in the restroom. Your identity has to do with something that's going to happen in the future, whether it's retirement or parole. And my identity, instead of being part of me, is segmented out and documented and put into some kind of a sequence. But what I want you to know is that meaningful things don't have a sequence or an order. Meaning has to do with right now. Connection and location, right? And the connection and the location is now. When you were a kid, maybe you learned about fire, right? Maybe you were a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout or a something scout. Or you've watched enough Survivor videos on TV like me. But you know that fire is thought of as a triangle, right? You need your combustible material like wood, right? You need oxygen, and then you need heat. You need those three things. And without those three things, you can't have fire. But here's the thing that's interesting. You can't have them one at a time. You don't have wood, and then you put the wood away, oxygen, and then you don't have oxygen, heat, and then you don't care about its heat. It's not a sequence. It has to happen all at once. The idea is that fire is not a thing. It's not a noun. It's an event. It's a verb. Fire happens. And it doesn't happen because there's wood. Wood doesn't cause fire. Fire happens to wood. Why am I talking about this? We're not getting ready for the jamboree. I'm talking about this because that's the truth about everything important. Love does not happen because there's flowers and Neil Diamond. Why did I go with Neil Diamond? I had a lot of other choices. But love doesn't happen as a product of that. Love happens to people who are in a relationship. They're not going to love you because you bought flowers. You buy flowers because you love, right? Church doesn't happen because there's a building with two-by-fours and, and drywall. Buildings don't cause church. Church happens to a building. Art doesn't happen because there's canvas and a frame. Art happens to canvas in a frame. And I could go on and on and on. Everything meaningful happens to. It's not a noun. It's a verb. It's not a thing. It's an event. And what I want you to know is that you are not a thing. You are not defined by your credit score and your zip code and your blood type. That's the least interesting part of you. You are not a thing like a rock. You are an event. You are less like a rock and more like a rock concert. Think of yourself as an event. And just like fire has wood and air and heat, you have action and you have thoughts and you have feelings. And when all three of those things come together, you have a meaningful life so often. The things that we do demand us to act and not think about it, or think and not feel, or feel but shut up about it. You know what I mean? Sometimes a relationship asks that from you. Sometimes a job asks that from you. Sometimes any kind of situation. But if you want to be a hero, if you want that moment to be a moment of meaning, if you want to break out of it, bring all three parts of the event of you to bear. Stop being a noun and start being a verb. 
And the verbs, not nouns thing is really, really important because I got to tell you, as a minister, people come to pray with me all the time, of course, and I'm honored by that. But sometimes, in fact, gosh, a lot of the time, maybe even most of the time, what people pray about is they say, can I please change my nouns? I don't like this car, I want a different car. I don't like this job, I want a different job. I don't like this diagnosis, I want a different diagnosis. And I get that, there's nothing wrong with that. But you know as well as I do that there's no such thing as a geographical cure, right? We've talked about that. It's a 12-step-y kind of a thing. There's no such thing as a geographical cure. And one of the things that means in broad strokes is if you change your nouns but you don't change your verbs, you're going to be in the same situation. You hate your job now. It doesn't matter if there's a different business card in your life. You're going to hate that one too. You get in arguments with your partner, you can break up with them. But if you don't learn and grow, you're going to have the same arguments with a different person. And you know that, right? It's one of those things. So here's the lesson. If you're writing stuff down, here's what I want you to write down. It's going to change your prayer life. It's going to change your life, period. Don't ask God to change your nouns. Ask God to change your verbs. Don't ask God to change your nouns. Ask God to change your verbs. Because you are too big. And the nouns, the people, places, and things will come and go. But the way you feel, the actions you take, ah, that's what changes things. You're not a noun. You can't be contained in anything. So what is the right container for the event of you? It's a good question. I'm not contained by my house or my zip code or my car or my job. So what does contain me? The answer is that you are not a material being defined by facts. You are a mythological being defined by a story. Story is what's important. When you teach somebody something, you tell them the story of it. When you talk your way out of a speeding ticket, you tell a story about it. Think about it. Everything you learned and really learned, you learned through a story. When a people is exiled, when they lose their house and they lose everything, when they move on, the only thing they hold on to and the first thing that they create is more stories. Think about that. That's the important thing. You are not defined by physicality. You are defined by a myth. And a myth just means something that's truer than true. You know? Truer than true. I'll give you an example. Did George Washington really chop down a cherry tree? Did he really say, I cannot tell a lie and all that? Did he really throw a silver dollar across the Potomac? Is there facts involved in that? Who cares? We don't tell the story because it's a factual account. We tell the story because it's mythological. It's truer than true. It tells something about George Washington's character and by extension, something of our character as Americans and all of that. And it's great because it's a myth. It's truer than true. The facts don't matter. So ask yourself, what's truer than true about you? What can you show other people? I might be asking a lot because showing people the myth of you, the meaning of you, the passion of you might seem scary. And in fact, frankly, it's kind of frowned upon. 
We are taught from a very early age to be adults and to be safe, to be predictable, to have a five-year plan, to have a to-do list that we're constantly chewing on, to have a reasonable rate of return and to keep our heads down and don't dream big dreams and all of that. We are taught to be adults, but you know what? Another word for that kind of maturity is fear. I'm so sick of the idea that having a successful life means keeping my dreams secret. Do the people who love you know about your dreams? Can you change that? Do the people who know you and love you know about your myth, your truth, your story? Yeah, I know it's foolish, but you know what? Who's more lovable than a fool? Who's more open to change than a fool? Maybe it's time to be a little bit hungry and be a lot foolish. I mean, how many times in the Bible, and in fact, in every piece of wisdom literature across the landscape of the human experience, how many times have we been told to be like children? Because they see the connected places, right? Because they're not afraid to make friends and embrace the breeder-reactor quality of life. Because children absolutely know that they are going to grow and they lean into that faith. And because they know that they're gonna grow, something happens. You know what? They grow. That can be your truth too. That can be your story too. Have faith in your growth. Share your heart the way that a little kid would. Think about your dreams. Maybe you were told that they weren't realistic, but you know what? If you want a life that's meaningful, here's what I wanna leave you with. Dream big the way that you did when you were small. That's the truth about you. Share it with somebody. It's going to set us all free. Because after all, freedom is a choice. Thank you very much. And now it's time to take our opportunity to give. That's how we support this ministry. If you have been spiritually fed by this in any way, I hope that you will find it in your heart to give and help support this. But one way or another, wherever you are spiritually fed, it is your responsibility to help support that because that is how the world gets changed. You can donate to the church by going to donate.waterandstonechurch.com. And there's all kinds of options for you to do all kinds of things right there. You can buy a copy of my book by finding my website or by going to Amazon and all of that good stuff too. But right now, let's bless our offering together. God is my source, my unending supply. With this gift, I carry my gratitude into action. God's blessings flow through me and fill my world. I give and I live with radical joy. And so it is and so it does. Amen. And finally, I want to remind you that next week and for the rest of the weeks this month, except that fifth Sunday, but we'll talk about that later, for the rest of the weeks this month, we'll be talking about what it means to, to go after a meaning-fulfilled kind of a situation, what it means to share from that place, what it means to be like a little child, what it means to tell your story, to find what matters, to change your life. And so what I hope you'll do is send me your questions and your comments. Let me know how you're doing. And when we have our discussions in the coming weeks, we'll open the mailbag and answer those questions. So keep them coming. Keep on fighting the good fight. The world is a better place because you are in it. And one way or another, I want to remind you that you're not alone because we pray as a family. Let's say our dedication prayer together. God, I'm ready for change. 
My heart is open. I'm not afraid anymore. My life is in peace and on purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Now go show the world what love looks like today. Thank you. Hey, this is Dita Randolph, and I just want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the lesson and hopefully for taking some time to apply what we talked about in your life. That's where this really happens. I love the idea that church isn't something that happens to you, but rather something that happens through you. What you do based on what you've heard can change your life and really change the world. This is just the beginning of a bigger journey. And if you want to continue your journey with us, I'd love for you to like and subscribe us on YouTube or you can watch the videos. Come join us in person. Our street address and all kinds of information is at our website, waterandstonechurch.com. All of that sort of thing. If you want to give electronically, that's where to do it. If you want to connect with us on social media, and you really should do that there, waterandstonechurch.com. Thank you for being a part of this work.